Good morning. My name is Donald. I'm one of the pastors here at First Alliance Church. And what a delight it is to be with you as we celebrate once again our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Today we're talking about one of the songs that was written long ago in what is called Handel's Messiah. And this one is going to feature the song, Unto Us a Child is Born. Many of us have heard it over the years and rejoice, and that's probably one of the most famous pieces of the oratorios that was written. And we celebrate it, not only during the Christmas season, but we celebrate it throughout the year. For what a joy it is to know that God sent unto us his only begotten Son. Some years ago, a woman by the name of Thais King wrote a book titled, Pray the Word. Many of you are familiar with that. And while the bumper video is talking about Handel's Messiah, uh, we understand that it was first performed on April 13, 1742. And what is so important about these songs that make up that group is that they're all scripture. So 207 years to the day after that was first rendered, yours truly was born. While there are no mere coincidences with God, I'm not at all convinced that my preaching today has anything to do with my birthday. It is his birthday. It is his birthday. Can you celebrate that? It's all about Jesus. And if that be true, it can't have anything to do with Donald Smith. Handel's Messiah consists of 53 pieces of music, with all but two consisting of the pure Word of God. And they come both from the Old Testament and the New Testament. The other two pieces are simply instrumental. For unto us a child is born. This is the passage from what we are going to be talking today, and you've just heard it in your hearing read by Sarah.
to celebrate. Uh, let me say that again. We have a reason to celebrate. And his name is Jesus. What an awesome God. And every time I say that I correct myself, he is not an awesome God. He is the awesome God. Because beside him there is no other. Concerning the work of Handel Messiah, that was a compilation uh, of this oratoria that was provided by one named Martin P. Dickey, and he lists the books that are included in this oratorio. His list is provided in the order of the greatest number of verses uh, from which the, they were taken. The top three would be Isaiah, which has 27, 21 verses. Second would be the Psalms, which would be 15 verses, and then 1 Corinthians, there were 10 verses, and of course, uh, the rest of them are made up of portions of Scripture. And so when we look at this, we need to remind ourselves that this is nothing short of God's Word being presented to us in song. There are very few songs that are written today where we find purely God's Word that is given to us. And so we ought to cherish these songs, not because of simply the fact that they are songs, but because of the fact that they are the Word of God. And so we should praise the Lord. As we look at this, we find that the, the first, uh, there are three sections in this, or three parts to this oratorios. And the first one refers to the prophecy and realization of God's plan to redeem mankind by the coming of Messiah. Jesus is Messiah. Then the second part deals with the accomplishment of redemption uh, uh, by the sacrifice of Jesus, uh, mankind's rejection of God's offer, and mankind's utter defeat when trying to oppose the power of the Almighty. And so when you listen to those songs, think about these thoughts that, that we're sharing today. The third one has to do with a hymn of thanksgiving of the final overthrow of death. Jesus killed death. Jesus killed death. And so we can praise God because he sent his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. And of course, the very last part of that oratorio is the Amen. 
the amen. It is done. And God has settled everything for his own glory, for our good, but ultimately for his own glory. Are you ready to dance? Now, I know some of you are just wishing you could just stand up and dance. I mean, that music lends itself to dancing. But did you, do you know that in the Bible there's dancing? Yes, there is dancing unto the Lord. And so I know that there are those who are sitting, well, I don't know about that. That's, where is Pastor coming from with that? Listen, ladies and gentlemen, when we are gathered around the throne of God, there are going to be people from all walks of life, all kindreds, all tongues are going to be celebrating our Lord and our Savior. And so today we know that we celebrate in many different ways, but as long as we are truly celebrating the Lord, that brings a smile to God's heart. I'm thoroughly convinced of that. Psalm 115 verses 1 through 3 says, Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to your name give glory. Because of your mercy, because of your truth, why should the Gentiles say, Where is their God? But our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. 
Can you say amen to that? Nothing can stop God. In the creation, God's plan was for man to have dominion and rule over the earth. It was always meant for man to be in charge of the earth, but never without God. Although man sinned, God's plans can never be defeated. God's plans can never be defeated. And so we need to keep that in mind that when God set up a redemption plan, it was to redeem the whole world, not just you and me. It was a redemption of the entire earth. And ladies and gentlemen, a man will once again have dominion and rule over the earth. But it will be a rule of justice of righteousness and peace. And that's because the one in charge will be the Prince of Peace. He will have oversight and he will rule thoroughly in righteousness and justice. As we consider our passage today, I want to share a few things to hopefully put the lesson in context. From Isaiah chapter 9, the first seven verses, which were read actually verses 2 through 7, they are actually part of the message that begins in Isaiah chapter 8, verse 1. The nation of Israel had already been split between the ten tribes in the, uh, of the north and the two tribes of the south. The uh, ten tribes were referred to as Israel. The two tribes were referred to as Judah. A prophecy was given that the king of Assyria would soon conquer Damascus and Samaria. And God gave Isaiah a son. And he had him named the son Mehar Shalahashbaz. The meaning is swift is the booty, speedy is the prey. This was the name that God had given for him to name because the name itself was a prophetic name. He was referring to the Assyrians, the, uh, uh, and it was saying, hasten to the spoil, that is, the spoil of Syria and Samaria. It says, for before the boy knows how to cry out, my father or my mother, the wealth of Damascus and the spoil of Samaria will be carried away before the king of Assyria. And you can read about that further in 2 Corinthians, uh, Kings 15 and uh, 16, also 1 Chronicles 5. In other words, the conquest of Syria and Damascus, he's saying, will be swift. Israel had gone into an alliance with Syria, but Judah was seeking an alliance with Assyria. Neither one was approved by God. But through Isaiah... God had warned Judah that the king of Assyria would not be satisfied with just his defeat of Israel and Syria. Verse 8 of chapter 8 says that as the overflowing of the banks of the Euphrates, the king of Assyria would sweep into Judah and will even reach to the neck, meaning Jerusalem. But it says, nevertheless, the land would still be under the protection of Jehovah. And I would suggest that you would read the 37th verse chapter of Isaiah and you can see what God did. When the Assyrians came and they came up to Jerusalem, 
They were boastful about all of the things that they had done to all of the nations around. And, and, and they were saying the same thing to, to the king Hezekiah in Judah. He says, do you think that your God, do you think that your God can protect me? Look at what all the other nations, their gods couldn't protect them. But apparently they did not know the God. And so they boasted. And then Hezekiah king turned and he prayed and he asked the Lord to deliver them. He confessed their sins and prayed for deliverance. And God sent a message to Isaiah, go and tell them that they should not be afraid of the king of Assyria because I am with you. And you can read in, in uh, Isaiah chapter 37 as to what God did. It says, when God gave that, the angel of the Lord came and he wiped out in one night 185,000 of the Assyrian soldiers. And the king of Assyria went back home with his head bowed. You see, if God is with you, if God is on your side, it makes no difference who comes up against you. The word of God is true. No weapon formed against you will prosper because God is on your side. But one of the things that you read that passage in Isaiah chapter 37, please remember why God did what he did. He said, I am doing this for my own glory and because of my servant David. God had told David that there will never be a lacking a man to sit on your throne. And who is that man? Jesus Christ. And back to Isaiah chapter 8, verse 10, makes it known that the enemy can devise whatever scheme it wants, but it will not be fulfilled because God was with them. God spoke to Isaiah with a strong hand and instructed him to not go along with the people of the land who were planning to form an alliance with the Assyrians. Verses 12 and 13 says that, that Isaiah was not to fear what the people feared. God was not was to be their fear. Sanctify the Lord, it says. Sanctify the Lord as holy and let him be your fear. To those who fear God, he shall be your sanctuary. God is our refuge and strength, says the psalmist, a very present help in trouble. And Judah had a great sin. And God will always judge sin. Judah observed what the Assyrians did in defeating Syria. So instead of remaining faithful to God and centering their hopes on him, they thought the Assyrians would be a worthy ally. Although scripture teaches that the righteous will live by faith, that is faith in God, one may say that the people of Judah were walking not by faith, rather they were walking by sight. But through the prophetic word of Isaiah, God had warned them that putting their trust in anyone but himself was to abandon their only real hope. By trusting him, they would be blessed. Because Isaiah would not go along with the majority, he was even deemed a traitor. And God told Isaiah, listen, don't be worried about the fact that people are going to call you a traitor. You keep your eye on me. And in this world, we find that we will be called traitors because we are keeping our eyes on Jesus. 
because Isaiah would not go along with the majority. Uh, he was deemed such. God told him, under no circumstances will you go along with the people of Judah to seek help from the Assyrians to protect them. Do not fear Syria and Israel. Do not fear the people of Judah. You are to fear God and God alone. And so we know that God is a very present help in trouble. Still, Isaiah says to God's people, he says of them, they will pass through the land hard-pressed and famished, and it will turn out that when they are hungry, they will be enraged and curse their king and their God as they face upward. Then they will look to the earth and behold distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be driven away into darkness. What Isaiah had to deal with was faith versus sight. Sight asks, what do people think? Faith asks, what is right? Sight moves according to what is popular. Faith moves according to what God says. And so we need to keep our eyes on God at all times. Because the masses were looking to the Assyrians, it made Isaiah, as I said earlier, seem as if he were a traitor to not go along with them. But he understood that the only safe place was to be true to the living God. And so once again, we say we're to sanctify the Lord. Our God. Sanctify the Lord of hosts and let him be your fear and let him be your dread and he shall be for you a sanctuary. We find Peter saying these same words in 1 Peter 3, 14 and 15, but even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed and do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and with reverence. When you're going through all kinds of things and, and you're not falling apart and the world looks at you and don't understand, why aren't you falling apart? Look at what's happening in your life. The word says sanctify Christ as Lord. Sanctify him as holy. Sanctify him as the one and the only one in whom you can place your trust and that he will not let you down. And people will wonder, what is it that makes you tick? 1 Peter 3, 17 says, For it is better if you should go, if, you, you should, if God should will it so, that you suffer for doing what is right rather than doing what is wrong that people had shut their ears to what God told Isaiah. They chose to trust their eyes and not the light of God's word. They chose to believe a lie. Instead of the wisdom that came from God, they were wise in their own eyes, but Isaiah was not to change the message. And you and I are witnessing the same kind of thinking in our present day. Today, many churches have jumped on the bandwagon of culture. They have abandoned the truth of Scripture and have reshaped their theology to make it fit society. Truth should never be abandoned for what is popular. God's kingdom is not a democracy. He does not function by popular vote. God functions according to himself. 
When the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy, he warned him that the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But wanting to have their ears tickle, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. God's word is the only reliable foundation on which we are to stand. It is the only one that we can stand on because all of the ground is what? Sinking sand. Isaiah 8.20 says, To the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. It is because there is no light in them. They have neither light nor truth. Verse 21 says, They will pass through the land hard-pressed and famished, and it will turn that when they are hungry, they will be enraged and curse their king and their God as they face upward. Then they will look to the earth and behold distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be driven away into darkness. Verse 1 of chapter 9 says, Nevertheless, the gloom will not be upon her who is distressed. In other words, it will come, but it will not remain because God has a plan. It says, as when at first he lightly esteemed the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward more heavily oppressed her by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan in Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. The apostle or the, the, the prophet is speaking of the redeemer that God would send. Says in verse 3 of 9, you have multiplied the nation and increased its joy. They rejoice before you according to the joy of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you have broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, as in the day of Midian. For every warrior's sandal from the noisy battle and garments rolled in blood will be used for burning and fuel of fire. Why? It's because the king is coming. And the king will take care of everything. The good news. God always keeps his promises. The Gospel of Matthew says that when Jesus began his ministry, after John the Baptist had been taken into custody, Jesus withdrew into Galilee and leaving Nazareth, he came and settled in Capernaum, which is by the sea in the region of what? Zebulun and Naphtali. This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet saying, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the sea of the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan of Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who were sitting in darkness saw a great light. And those who were sitting in the land and shadow of death, upon them a light dawned. Jesus declared himself to be the light of the world. His ministry of love and compassion brought light and joy to the people. And if you will allow him, he will bring joy into your life as well if you don't already know him. I did not say that he will keep you from trials and tribulation. 
But Jesus is able to give you joy in the midst of trials and tribulation. I did not say he will give you all the stuff you want. I did say that he will make your joy full. Today, many people associate happiness and joy with stuff. And because the true meaning of Christmas has been distorted, there are countless numbers of people who are spending money they can't afford and don't have, buying things they don't need, trying to impress people they don't even like. Christ is not about so many things that we've allowed to capture our time and our talents and our resources in this day. Christmas is about the birth of Christ, the Son of God who stepped out of eternity into the time, space, and history of mankind so that he might redeem man from the sin that man has committed against God. That's what Christmas is about. And so when somebody asks me, are you ready for Christmas? I say, I stay ready. I was ready on January 1 for Christmas. Why? Because Christmas to me is not about stuff. Don't get me wrong. Do I enjoy getting presents? Yes, I do. Do I enjoy giving presents? Yes, I do. But Christmas is about Jesus Christ coming into this world to save you and me. Unto us a child is born. Unto us, us a son is given. I know you want to keep it going, <laughs> but I have some more to say, so, so I, I, I have, to, have to cut it off. Unto us a child is born, speaking of his humanity, Jesus was 100% man. Unto us a son is given, speaking to us of his deity. Jesus is not only 100% man, he's also 100% God. He is the God-man. And his name will be called Wonderful. In the book of Judges, when the parents of, 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 of um, trying to think of the man, asked the question, why do you ask my name, Samson? Why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? Counselor, he is the fountain of wisdom. Colossians 2, 3 says, in him are hidden the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He's the mighty God. He is God Almighty. In him dwells the fullness of the Godhead in bodily form. And verse 10 of uh, Colossians 2 says, And you are complete in him. He's the everlasting Father. Please don't misunderstand that passage. Jesus is not God the Father. 
but rather he is the father of eternity. In other words, all of eternity and all of time comes because of Jesus Christ. He's the father, and father word father speaks of the originator. And as such, he is, as I said, the father of eternity. He holds time, eternity, and life in his hands. He is the alpha and the omega. He is the beginning and the end. Eternal life is found not in religion, but in him. And he is the prince of peace. And through him and him alone, we have peace with God. Philippians 2, 8 through 11 says that being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this all reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So we preach the gospel to you. But what is the gospel? You ask the average person, what is the gospel? They will say, it's good news. And they're not wrong by that. But then you ask the question, good news about what? Well, Jesus died on the cross so that when I die, I get to go to heaven. May I suggest that that's a little bit short. When the scriptures talk about Jesus coming, especially in Isaiah and Luke, it says in Isaiah, Matthew, I'm sorry, Matthew and Luke, in Matthew 4, 23, it says, And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching what? The gospel of the kingdom. And healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of diseases among people. Matthew 9, 35 says, Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching what? The gospel of the kingdom. And healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Mark 1.14, now after John was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. Matthew 24.14 says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. Isaiah 9.7 says, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and with justice from that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. The praise team can come back up now. If you are simply thinking in terms of Jesus died on the cross so that when you die you get to go to heaven, you're missing out on something. The good news is that when Jesus came, he invited people from all walks of life, not just wealthy people, poor people, uneducated people, lame people, sick people, people who were uh, in all kinds of issues, who had committed all kinds of sins. He invited them to become a part of his kingdom. And that was the good news, ladies and gentlemen. You are a part of the kingdom of God. And it's so because 
Jesus came. Earthly kingdoms rise and fall, but his kingdom will never end. Revelation eleven fifteen says, Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever. Revelation 21, 3 through 5 says, And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, no sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he shall reign forever. And you get to reign with him. And ladies and gentlemen, if that's not worth shouting about, I don't have anything else to say. You get to reign with the King of kings and Lord of lords. And that's what Isaiah was talking about, him coming. God is the God of judgment, but God is a God of mercy and grace.